0: And we welcome you to this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Eric Lopez alongside Brian Murphy. No Jeff Sharon on this episode. Now we don't want to kind of make light of this because it is a serious situation, uh, academic right now in the in the world right now, with health being a big focus. But uh, Jeff was under the is under the weather, uh, Murph, and we both decided. Well, if you're under the weather, uh, we don't want you on the show in case that spreads. Right.
1: Yeah, even though none of us are in the same room at the same time during this podcast, we just figured it's better its better safe than sorry not to have Jeff on the show regardless. I guess we we still could have.
0: But I didn't want to take no. the chance, Fine, no. all right? I right. didn't want to take the chance, so i as rather. No, he, ha- he does not have the
1: novel coronavirus. He has a uh, pink eye and I think the flu, so uh, th- that's what's happening.
0: We don't know if he got that from watching the UCF men's basketball game against SMU on Wednesday night, which Murph was in person. He'll try to explain that game, uh, which will be fun to hear Murph's explanation for that game Is UCF sort of won. Uh, we'll talk about that, was, that game. Uh, that was a hell of a segue there, Elo. That's amazing segue. Thank you. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about baseball nationally ranked. They will be hosting Butler this weekend. They're coming off a winning three out of four against CSUN. And, of course, a midweek win over JU. UCF softball is ranked uh took it in the chin against florida state i'll explain what that means as they head out west for a lengthy road trip and then later in the show as well we'll preview the women's basketball uh they're in the american conference championship tournament where do they stand as far as the ncaa tournament uh, as we speak so we'll discuss all of that and much more of course you can follow us on twitter ladies and gentlemen on twitter ladies and g- on ucf underscore Bannerette. of course you can Check us out on all your favorite podcast devices. Make sure you rate and uh, give us a you know a like, preferably, uh, and subscribe to all the, your favorite podcasts where you can listen to all our episodes uh, of Black and Go Banneret Podcast. But we begin Murph, of course, with football. Yeah, we're we're only a month away, Murph. We're a Murph a month away from the twenty twenty Spring Game edition, ladies and gentlemen. I know everybody's got it circled. It is the game that everybody's circled in the date an early afternoon first weekend of april spring football and we're month away and they're practicing we're practicing people they're 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 not i don't know what they're doing cuz it's not open to the media except for what 10 minutes of the start of practice Murph? what like what give us a breakdown of 15, what what you see over there
1: 15 minutes of the greatest set of stretches and
0: warm ups you have ever laid eyes on eric woo and then eventually, p- players talk. And then, of course, on Wednesday, oh, Mackenzie Milton was throwing. He was throwing, Murph. Ah, he's throwing. Social media got what? excited. I mean,
1: I mean, he was throwing. And you know, we didn't we didn't see any of anything like that today from Mackenzie. We did see him. He was out there this morning, um, going through drills and 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 throwing some passes and going through uh, read option stuff and stretching, but nothing like we saw yesterday in the clip of him basically taking a snap, coming back, pivoting off of his left left leg and, uh, and throwing to his left. I mean, yes, I know it's, it's still very much up in the air whether or not he plays this year or next year or ever again, but uh, you have to admit, Eric, it was nice to see. That's all it was. It was a lovely little piece of content from UCF football Showing us that Mackenzie Milton is still out here on the grind, trying to make his way back.
0: Absolutely. I mean, he's moving around. By the way, I can ex- I can exclusively report, he was at UCF softball Wednesday night for the UCF Florida State game with a bunch of other football players. He looked pretty good moving into the stands there. Murph sat pretty well, so uh, he, he, he looked pretty good moving into the. Stands. I'm just giving you the reports. You know that you know it's football, people want to know what's going on. I provide the information. I know you guys were busy at basketball, so I could provide you (laughs) what I knew in softball. But um, in all seriousness, I mean, obviously – uh, we make light of this, but it is spring practice. Uh, you know, I know Coach Hypel spoke on Friday. You were there for that, and he gave the typical coach talk about we got to improve on everything and things like that. Just what, do you, what do you, have you gathered from all these practices? What, what is, if anything, has stood out, if anything, any tones, anything that uh, you, you've gathered from all the chatter going around there?
1: I mean, Dylan Gabriel is still very interesting, and Dylan... Dylan is understated, right? He's still not going to give you a massive quote. But, you know, we've heard coming into this week and, and from assistant coaches like Joey Halsley, the new quarterbacks coach, about just how hard Dylan is working. And um, and so we got to talk to Dylan Gabriel today uh, for about five minutes where we asked him about his work ethic and what he's trying to do to get better this spring. And basically it was, a, it, it, you know, he made it very clear He is in the building 12 hours a day. He's in UCF football headquarters 12 hours a day doing either weights or film study or trying to learn the the offense more or practicing uh, because he wants to get this team back, this program back to where he thinks it should be. And in that mind – and that that means to him where it should be means undefeated. And so I thought that was pretty captivating stuff. And uh, here's what we also – Got to hear from Dylan Gabriel today uh, in the morning of what was our second spring availability. Here's Dylan Gabriel.
2: For sure, I'm just a lot more comfortable with the guys, obviously, and then just uh, know how practices go and just the little things, really. But um, yeah, I'm loving it. When Coach Heupel says you've been living in the building, what does that mean? I guess you could say six to six to six, I guess you could say. Um, Just uh, every time it's, it's not schoolwork or tutoring. You know, I'm in there. Either it's extra work just, you know, whatever I can do to get better. So.
3: Where can you get better just looking at your game? I've seen learning a lot as a freshman, but going into your sophomore year, what parts of your game can
2: get better that you're working on? I think everywhere. Um, you know, just consistent, getting better in everything I do. Um, but yeah, all around.
1: Coach Hawsley said last week that they almost have to hold you back at some times for doing too much. Mm-hmm. What's driving you this spring?
2: Um, you know, obviously I'm not doing what I wanted, which was undefeated. You know, that was our goal. We didn't meet that whenever I don't need a goal, or we don't need to go am you know, we're, we're disappointed. So um, we're going to do, uh, personally, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to get back to where we, where we should be.
3: From a physical standpoint, what kind of tries have you made in the weight room? Have you put on weight? Have you tried to do that since you got here? Have you seen some gains there?
2: For sure. Um, I feel a lot more, um, I guess, leaned up. Body feels filled in. I guess I gained a lot of weight um, coming in early. Not the way I wanted to, but now I was able to get it the way I like, so. How much weight have you gained? Five pounds, so just from 190, 195, so. They've, the uh, College Trial also said
1: that they're, they're trying to, you want to do some things, but they're not letting you do some things. What are they, what are they kind of holding you back from, or things you, uh, just things like that?
2: Um, I just think just physical, you know. I'm, sometimes I come out here um, after our workouts just to, to do some extra work, but, you know, they said it's not always physically physically what you gotta do. Sometimes, you know, just getting the film a more. So I've obviously focused on more of that. But um, I just wanted uh, personally to make sure I was physically ready for spring because I knew mentally um, we're going to get a lot of reps at that. So
3: How much time have you thought about that season opener? I mean, I know you got spring and summer, but that's a game that's going to have two really good sophomore quarterbacks. Guys, you, you talk about the two top fresh from the nation. I'd say it was Dylan Gabriel and Sam Howell in North Carolina. Have you kind of thought about that matchup and how sure. big that will be from a quarterback standpoint?
2: Um, not at that standpoint. Just uh, in the case for us, it's a big game. Every game, obviously, is a big game. You know, Every time you take a game lightly, uh, you see what happens. So, you know, um, my main focus is every game is its own individual game. We've got to focus on it week to week. So. Dylan, do you feel like this is your job to – you started last year, but do
3: you feel like it's your job to keep going through spring and, and the offseason?
2: <clears throat> you know, that's up to the coaches. All I can do is play my best, um, go out there and give, give uh, my team the best chance to win. And, you know, personally, that's all I'm focused on is uh, check in somehow. I don't care how, I'm just winning every game. So. How does it feel to see KC out there moving around a little bit better? Personally, I love it. Um, it's super fun. It reminds me of the days back home when we practiced at our high school. So it's super, it's super fun. So I'm enjoying it. What have you seen from some of these younger, wide
3: receivers? I mean, that's some of the older guys, between yeah. you know, Trey and Marlon and Jacob, we know they're going to be there, but I know this is a big spring for some of the young guys to start yeah. to emerge. What have you seen from that group and who has stood out?
2: Um, personally, well, I, I, think I, I think Omari. Johnson, obviously, but all around, everyone's taking strides. I think uh, you know, sorry, obviously, second year in offense, third year for some guys. So we're just taking it to another level, um, whichever way we can, which is just being more defined in uh, everything we do. so, of Center for you, what's important about that relationship in developing the chemistry? Me and Matt have been friends for a while, even you know uh, before, just because you he, uh, you'd be here a lot. But um, me and Matt. Study buddies. We, uh, we study astronomy together, so you know we're super close. And um, yeah. What do you say about Jalen Robinson? Just, super quick can... guy. I think he's really shifty. Um, really good after the catch, but at the same time, um, you know he gets open, and that's that's huge in our offense. And um, he's a he's a playmaker. So. Once wh-
1: once the spring is over, how would you gauge what a successful spring means to you?
2: Um, I just say competing and learning to you know. And things aren't going right how to you know come back from that but at the same time just driving and pushing every day not letting the everyday grind get to us and then you know making strides every single day to get better so,
1: so there's dylan gabriel uh, you know he obviously said he's he's not exactly looking forward to the not right now looking forward to the matchup uh against north carolina and sam howell which i know people are going to make a lot out of as we lead up to that game but he's obviously you know, uh, he's eager to play again, certainly, but I think he, he will not get caught up in the player by player comparison that is destined to come in the lead to that game. And you heard him mention at the end of that, near the end of that interview, Jalen Robinson, a, a transfer from Oklahoma who sat out last year, was here uh, uh, and learned under Gabe Davis, really uh, learned about work ethic. Uh, and he is gonna be, I think, a big part of this offense this year. Jalen, his his game is pretty simple right now. He is fast. His nickname is Flash. He's been known as Flash since his freshman year of high school uh, when he was out in uh, in uh, uh, Texas. And he is he's here basically to bring more speed to this offense. which I know at, at times could be, uh, you know, don't they have enough speed? Like well, you can never have enough. And uh, he said one of the reasons, Why he is a Knight is because he wanted to be where the speed is. And so that's why he's here at UCF. We got to talk to to Jalen Robinson as well today. And here's what he had to say about coming to UCF, uh, what he likes so far about the offense, and learning from Gabe Davis.
4: I made the decision to come to UCF because I just, uh, it was God's plan actually. Um, I'm here now and I'm accepting it and um, I love it here, so. yeah. So
1: what, was your, what was your visit like? What, was your, what really convinced you when you got, when you saw what was around here?
4: Uh, I know I started to hear about UCF, uh, you know, going undefeated and uh, their speed of their offense and just being speed and I'm a speedy guy so I want to be where the speed is. Is that something that like really appealed to you? Like really being was. a part of an offense like this? They were very, they're very explosive and I, I just like the way they, they run their, their routes. Um, I knew Coach wide as well when he recruited me at Houston, so I thought it was just a good fit for me. Describe your game. What do you do better than others? I just need the ball. I'm fast, uh
3: quick, just quick, quick twitch guy. Um, I make moves and I find his own. So when guys, you know, be asking about receivers and talk about flash, flash, flash. So obviously that's a nickname you have. How long have you had that nickname? When did you develop that nickname? I started about my uh, freshman year high school.
4: What have you learned from your teammates, the other wide receivers, other wide receivers uh, that we we we've been working, um, work ethic, and we got to push ourselves to be great. Right now, we're, we're preparing for North Carolina, and it starts now. And we're working, we're working, and we're working.
1: Now that you now you've gotten a chance to learn a little bit about this offense, has it been everything you thought it would be? Has it been a good fit for you?
4: A very good fit. I'm able to do what I need to do. Um, I have a lot of. We, a lot of option routes I'm able to be free with what I do and make a decision on what the coverage is and that's a freestyle to me and I like that.
1: You talked about how you like how they run their routes what uh, in that sense specifically what appeals to you about this offense?
4: Just uh, I like the fast pace as well Um, like I said we have option routes I'm able to just freestyle and read the coverage and run to the open grass so that's really what stands out to me. Describe your connection with Dylan and Haley. Uh, I think I have a connection with all the quarterbacks. All the quarterbacks are good. They uh, we're all. They're all good. They all know how to throw the ball. And um, the coaches are working with them, and we're working with them. So we're always working. Did having a year off, I mean a year, have to sit out because of transfer, that kind of maybe help you in a way, maybe kind of adjust to some things here. It did help me a lot. Um, it actually helped me a lot to uh to know to learn how much passion I have for the game. Um, it hurts not that it hurts sitting out that one year, and I think it was good for me. I was able to watch uh, a lot of people. Like Gabe, he was a. Big influence on me. Uh, hard work ethic. Um, he worked hard day and out. You know, it's my turn, and I'm gonna step up and try to fill in what he's he's done here. What, what did you learn you from Gabe? Work ethic. He works in the morning, afternoon, off season, spring, after workouts, after practice, catching 200 balls. Um, and who knows what he does when, when we're not looking.
1: What's the part of your game that you focus on more right now about improving as spring goes forward?
4: Uh, probably um, catching the ball more. Uh. Um, Contestant catches and just using my
3: speed to his full ability. As a fast guy. Do you think you can contribute in other ways besides wide receiver, like in the return game or anything like that? Oh, That's you have experience oh. doing? Yes, sir. Uh,
4: I plan on uh, playing a part return kick returner. You know, Otis has the part return. I'll come in whenever he needs it. Hopefully, uh, I think kick off, kickoff return is questionable. Who's going to be back there? And hopefully, I can get the job.
3: I'm are you looking forward to? I forgot they didn't play last year. I'm actually you looking forward to the season over? I mean, I know it's a long way away, but it's a big game, North Carolina coming here. Is it something you think about every day when you go out to practice? How uh, you got to be ready for been, that? I've been waiting for this since I got here in May. And I'm, I'm so ready, I
4: really can't explain it. And I guess y'all see that on game day.
1: So there's Jalen Robinson, the uh, redshirt sophomore wide receiver. It would be, it'd be exciting to see what he what the, what the Heupel and, and crew dial up for him this year and, and the big plays he kind of makes this year. Otherwise, you know, it's another—it's spring practice, right? So it—it is what it is. Let's not try to over—you know—let's try to try to overanalyze things. It's nice to see guys working out and getting in shape, getting to hear from them, and uh, you know, but let's not go nuts. Uh, There are more important things, uh, I think, to to talk about. And here's my here's the here's the transition that I was going to bring up. That I'll just be very clear with: (laughs) Jalen Robinson is from Fort Worth, Texas.
0: Eric, what is happening in Fort Worth next week? That's the American Conference Men's Basketball Championship Tournament, Merv. Oh, baby, we are almost there. We
1: only got one game left until I set flight for Fort Worth.
0: Well, if you if you could survive one more UCF basketball game, a roller coaster that is UCF basketball. You know there used to be a roller coaster on the court in Addition Financial Arena, yes. and they could have uh, that would have been a perfect thing to have on the court on Wednesday night as UCF jumped out to a nineteen nothing lead over SMU, led thirty three to fourteen at the half, only to lose the lead, trail at one point in the second half, and then, and I'll let you describe the inning because I can't do it justice, UCF holds on it, I mean hold on, to win 61 to 58, to improve to 15 and 14 on the year, 6 and 11 in the American, Colin Smith uh, led the way, really played a great game, nineteen point seven boards, a block and a steal, and uh, questionable pass. We'll leave it as that at the end of the game. That almost cost the team, as you'll describe, uh, in the game there. Darren Green had 13 points. Brandon Mayhan scored 12, including two free throws late in the game. They put him up three in the game. But, uh, it, Murph, you were in the building – what a bizarre game! You see, I've led by 19 at the half, tra- and then ended up trailing. What halfway through the second half was outscored 44 to 28 in the second half. Uh, a real simple two s- questions for you: How many times did you have to change your story about this game during the game? And number two, uh, uh, what what happened here?
1: <laughs> well, uh, one yes, I had to change my story quite a bit. Uh, you know, while I was riding it, which is always fun. It's exactly. I mean, when they go nineteen nothing, you're like, "This is gonna be great." It's gonna be an easy <laughs> night. But, you know, I should have never, I should have never done that. Because if we've learned one thing this season, Eric, and we've said it on the podcast numerous times. And this does not just mean, does not include just UCF. This is the entire conference a- a- at large. This conference, men's basketball, AAC, is absolutely out of its mind every night. You have no idea what's going to happen, which makes what's going to happen next week in Fort Worth so much fun because it's just, you, you just can't, you can't predict it. Why try? So, you know, I think the second half, you know, Johnny Dawkins really wasn't, you know, uh, didn't say like they made a lot, that UCF made a lot of mistakes or they got complacent. I mean, we even raised in the second half with, or, uh, with Johnny after the game, we raised the specter of did you guys get complacent up by 19? And he goes, no, you know, the, the SMU just ran really good offense, which they did. They ran a lot of backdoor cuts and, and baseline drives that really caught the Knights off guard over and over again. And meanwhile, UCF just couldn't get a shot to fall, which is how you go from a 19-point lead at half to kind of, as you were saying, Eric, that lead was cut to three by the, by the halfway point of the second half. With 10 minutes in, we'd gone a 19-point lead to three. Uh, and then but, but give credit to UCF. They, they go down. 49-48. Strike back, scored the next 5 points, only to see SMU come back yet again, take another lead of a banked in three-pointer. And and then you've got down the stretch, really good defense by UCF, some critical free throws from Colin Smith. That like you said, that the the missed free throw from Colin Smith with about 30 seconds left which then led to an offensive rebound by Brandon Mahan. A a tremendous hustle from him there to draw a foul and get more free throws. Um, You know, Colin was the best player in this game for UCF, and he really was, I thought, the reason why they won this game. He was also the reason why they almost lost it uh, (laughs) with that pass. I mean, (laughs) you're up by three. UCF after some free throws from Colin and Brandon, up by three with about 20 seconds left and they're passing around, all you've got to do is kind of hold on to it and wait for them to foul you. Colin, though, who's in the far corner, decides to get, I guess, greedy and decides to loft a ball cross-court from the far corner, and it gets it gets picked off. I mean, so
0: all of a sudden. <laughs> what was that like? You're watching that. I mean, you're in the media section. As you're watching that play develop, and as he starts to throw that pass, what is going through your mind as you're watching this unfold?
1: At, no, it's like a slow motion car crash. Like you <laughs> cause you like you knew if that ball was going to leave his hands and yeah. something bad was going to happen because there was nobody really next to him for him to like drop the ball off to. So if he was going to make a pass, he was going to make it travel a long distance and really telegraph it and, and, and the defense would have had a lot, of time to, a lot of time to recover toward the ball. So as I saw his arms go up and his intent to pass was clear – I just thought to myself, no, he can't. He absolutely can't. There's 15 seconds left. You're up by three. Just, just hold. Yeah. You've already made three of the last four free throws. Just hold. And uh, he does not.
0: <laughs> no. And, no. You know, <laughs> I watched it on replay, too. and it was rough. I knew what happened, and I was rough to watch. And the, even the the <laughs> building, you could just see, you could just sense in the buildings like, oh no. <laughs> it was like, oh.
1: <laughs> because you know, Eric, you know this because you, again, you watch it. Too. Colin was fantastic in that second half. Mm. I mean, the block he yeah. had. one of the best blocks the, I've on, seen, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the block he had on Tyson Jolly, again, Essendon was driving baseline a lot, getting a lot of backdoor cuts, and Colin anticipated one and just absolutely blocked the hell out of one ball, came back down the other end and got rewarded for it, got a basket off of that same possession, but used to have up by, up by five. Uh, he was great in this game, but he also made one of the weirdest decisions I've seen UCF basketball board make this season and to his credit uh he you know he took full responsibility for it he called it a bonehead play and he's basically really he's really happy that uh, this didn't up ended up didn't, did not end up right. being a loss because uh, it would have been on him if this had been on a loss that he would have got a lot more scrutiny and to his credit also so when SMU regained possession they came back out and took a timeout and they were set up a play I don't know what they had drawn up but what they got was a really forced three from the wing kind of off balance and the reason why they had to sell for a really forced shot at the buzzer is because Colin was playing tremendous perimeter defense uh, trapping guys in the corner he really didn't let that pass affect the way he played on the other end of the game um, and so you know even Johnny Dawkins at the end of the game I want to find the uh, the exact quote here uh, about Colin he goes Colin had a terrific game for us I was really proud of his overall game
0: except the pass <laughs> Like, that was it. basically The column was great. He was. Except for the pack. He was. And listen, in fairness, we kind of forget this as we cover this. These are 18 to 22-year-olds. They're not uh, eighth year in the NBA. I think we sometimes have high expectations that these guys are going to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes that you kind of shake your head sometimes. There's a reason why, you know, they're in college. Um, So it's a bad move. He'll learn from that. Unfortunately, it didn't cost them the game. They win the game. What does this win mean? Now, let, let me, you know, I know it's at the end of the regular season. They got ECU on Sunday. It's senior day. If UCF can win on Sunday, and I don't want to get into all the, you know, what the scenarios are, but if they win this game, they go 16-14, and 7-11 in the American. And I think if we're all real honest with each other, I think if we're all honest, Murph, That's about what we expected before the season, didn't we? Like, we were hoping for a winning season, you know, maybe win seven to eight games in the conference, uh, considering all the losses. They're kind of what we thought they would be. I know at times it's frustrating, uh, in particular with the Tulane game and things like that, but they're kind of where we thought they would be, wouldn't it? Aren't they? No, I agree with that. And, you know, I
1: know it's been frustrating for, for fans to watch this, but, but you have to understand, and we've said this even in the preseason, last year's team is not what you really should expect year in and year out at of UCF basketball. That that consistency is not there yet. And it may never be here because UCF basketball has just never shown that ability to be a tournament team year in and year out. You're going to have great years, and then you're going to have rebuilding years. And there's been few rebuilding years that have, been, that have seen so much construction like this one. Nine new guys, uh, transfers, freshmen, just a lot of guys trying to meld together for one season. It's really difficult. And so, yeah, if they win this game, uh, and, and I'll say this, if they win this game, Temple plays, I think Temple's last game is at Cincinnati, and USF's last game is at home against SMU. If those teams lose and UCF beats East Carolina on Sunday, East, UCF enters the conference tournament as the eighth seed. And I think coming into the season, that's kind of where we would have them pegged
0: anyway. Coaches were picked and them ninth. So. Coaches picked them ninth. And I right. think you – I remember you said the ceiling was anywhere from like six to 11. I think you said it's, right. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Like the other ceiling was like five or six to like 11. Yeah. So if they win, I think it's pretty easy to predict that Temple would lose at Cincinnati in the season finale at Temple. Maybe SMU can – somehow dust themselves off after a couple of completely heartbreaking yeah, what a games. Wild,
0: what a wild two-game stretch for SMU. Blow a 24-point lead at home to Wichita State, the second largest lead to be blown this year in college basketball, and then come all the way back the next game on the road, down 19 nothing, down 19 at the half, come all the way to take a lead and only to lose by three.
1: <laughs> How, about SMU? How about SMU, if you take the last 13 minutes of their game against Wichita State on Sunday – and add in their first eight minutes against UCF uh, on uh, last night, on Wednesday, they, in, the, in those two stretches, they played about 22 minutes of basketball in which they had been outscored 59-12. to 12. <laughs> that, is, that is
0: incredible.
1: And yet,
0: <laughs> and yet, they're one of seven teams that we believe can win the tournament in Fort Worth next week, don't we? Did we? I, I don't, no, 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 no. I, I don't think so. Oh, no, you're, I, you're I, off? You're off SMU
1: here. now. Okay, you're off? I don't think everybody was on SMU. I'll, I'll be clear. I think it's uh, Houston in no particular order. I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll name the teams I think can win: Houston, Cincinnati, Wichita State, Memphis, uh, Connecticut, Tulsa, and then so I, I guess like SMU would be like at last they would be like last that order. But there, but I, what what's so weird about SMU is they they just don't fit in this conference. You know, people have to understand this conference. Is all about defense. You look at this conference-wide, the AAC <laughs> is in the bottom four among the 32 D1 conferences. They're in the bottom four in three-point percentage and two-point percentage. Uh, the offensively, they just don't do a whole lot. And yet here's SMU, who leads the league in scoring while being 10th in the league in defense. They, they they kind of play the other brand of basketball. So it's it's an interesting mix, but I, I really don't see them – Winning this tournament, I would much. I mean, if, you know, if if I had to rank them, they're they're definitely in the middle of the pack or lower middle of the pack.
0: I would I would I would still rather have Connecticut over SMU. All right. Well, you try to root. Ru- you ruin my segue, but that's good. That's fine. Um, oh, no. <laughs> I was ready to go there. A quick thought before we uh, go move on. Senior day, UCF uh, against East Carolina. Just kind of tell us, what, what do you expect there uh, to see there on senior day? Not a big senior class, but then you got East Carolina as one of the best players in the league, but that's about it.
1: Yeah, I think the story here, and, and hopefully we get to talk to Matt Milan on Saturday, the day before the game, because uh, really I think the story for this game is Matt Milan. And I know Matt probably hasn't had the overall season that he would have liked. Um, it's been a struggle for him. It's been better of late. But uh, but still a struggle for him overall, considering what he did at William and Mary and Boston College. But this is an Avito kid who grew up going to UCF basketball games, wanted to play here to finish out his college career, got the opportunity to do that, and this is his last college basketball game, or at least his last college basketball game in that arena, in the arena where uh, you know he used to watch, you know, players play, uh, players like Jermaine Taylor, guys like that. So. Uh, th- 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 that's the story for me for this game. And then we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens on the court. Who knows? UCF could go up 30 to nothing and then we'll be tied at the half because <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen next
0: time an AC game is played. Two o'clock tip. Game could be telecast, on, uh, broadcasted on ESPNU on Sunday, UCF in East Carolina. And then we'll find out Sunday night all the brackets and all the schedule and make a note, this was the segue I was going to do had Murph not disagreed with me on SMU is we're going to have a special preview, uh, early edition of the black and go banner podcast early this upcoming week. Coming up, we're going to preview the men's basketball championship from uh talk of Fort worth, all the key storylines, what UCF will have, hopefully have a guess. Uh, Murph will break it down the field. What's at stake for the league and what UCF has to do to uh, maybe pull some surprises up in Fort worth. That's all coming up later, uh, early in the week earlier than normal just be it will be before the american conference tournament begins which will begin on thursday which murph will be at in fort worth
1: for for all the i don't know don't know when i'm coming back elo i'll be there wednesday night and i'm coming back sometime before monday just don't know when
0: the big question will be will murph be back in time for ucf butler Well, we'll preview that series, whether he makes it back or not. Doesn't matter. We'll still talk about it. That's all coming up next. Plus, later, we'll preview the women's basketball championship that gets going this weekend in Connecticut, and then softball is heading out west. You're listening to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.
3: Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com.
0: Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Eric Lopez alongside Brian Murphy. Jeff's under the weather. He's got – you said he has pink eye, you said earlier? Yes, he has pink eye. What, did he go to the Sochi Olympics with Bob Costas? Oh, God. Do people remember that? I do. I mean, (laughs) how can you not? If you watch the Sochi Olympics, that's all anybody remembers. It's Bob Costas hosting the Olympics with a pink eye. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I I I blacked out on that. I blacked out on the pink eye. <laughs> yeah. So uh, hopefully Jeff gets healthy. Uh, but we, we took the precaution and made sure he did not uh, appear on the show, so he can you know spread that to us because you know we we mm. both have things to do like cover UCF baseball this weekend. Murph, UCF nationally ranked. <laughs> Fourteenth, I believe, right? The highest among all the – There's like a million baseball polls. So I'm sorry if I don't keep track of every freaking single poll. How many polls? I mean, I couldn't believe it, Murph. On Monday, I'm following you on Twitter, and you were like breaking down rankings of all the baseball polls from the morning all the way to the late afternoon. Well, that's because
1: the National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association <laughs> lags Damn every idiot. other poll, and there are a lot. There's, there's, there's D1. D1 baseball, which is I think the most reputable, yeah. it's the most well known, and they are the ones who ranked UCF 14th this week. That's the highest of any poll. Then you got Baseball America comes out quite, uh, like shortly after that. Collegiate Baseball News, Perfect Game, USA Today Coaches Poll, all of those come out like before noon, and so that, you have like, this cavalcade of polls. And then the National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association poll comes out like 4:30 in the afternoon. Like, what's the holdup, guys? It's that um, media, anyway, you
0: know, the media. They're getting their media spread or something, you know.
1: I tell you, you, you can't trust the baseball media. All baseball writers are junk.
0: <laughs> Put that on the record. There we go. Yeah, no deadlines evidently over there. Um, none, yeah. Nonetheless, well, but uh, yeah, go tell fair- those baseball writers to get a new job. Wait, what am I? <laughs> I don't know what you are, Murph. But what we are do do know is UCF's twelve and two. They took three out of four from Sun last weekend, as we like to refer to it here as the Murph series, um, and then yes. follow that up with a shutout win over Jacksonville. So they're twelve and two. They get set to host Butler out of the Big East. But let's just kind of go back. You were at every game and all five of them. Uh, When you include the CSUN series and the JU game. Just kind of, what was your big takeaway from those five games? I know it's a lot of games, but, I mean, to win three out of four against CSUN and then come back on a midweek and beat Jacksonville, who has been pretty good over the last few years as far as a baseball team, uh, your thoughts on uh, what stood out?
3: Yeah,
1: (coughs) I'm sorry, I'm coughing now. Uh, Jacksonville is kind of, they're not up to the best start, but you're right. A couple years ago, Jacksonville was a top 30 RPI team. Um, but I thought take, coming out of the CSUN series, what really impressed me was just, again, the overall depth of this pitching staff. Uh, it's amazing once you get to look at it. Like, they can run you out there 10 deep as far as pitchers, starters, and relievers. And, I mean, they've really been close to unhittable. Some of these guys have been unhittable. Like, Jalen Whitehead, I believe, has given up, like, three hits and, and no runs in his last 11 and two-thirds innings. Uh, Nick Cotilla – uh, who's only a freshman. They kind of pitch him in low-leverage situations, but he has yet to give up a hit in third innings this year in a number of relief appearances. Jeffrey hakinson is absolutely blowing people away as the closer of this team. Um, David Litchfield, he's gotten into some jams, but doesn't really allow anything to score. He always finds a way to wriggle out of jams. Um, Ryan Saltonstall, even he is maybe only pitching to one batter, but he always seems to get the guy You know, a, a critical time he gets the guy out. I think that's something that I, I just looking through the last five games, like, man, this pitching staff is really, really good. And I still have questions about the offense overall. Certainly what we've seen from Jordan Rathbone and freshmen like Pablo Ruiz, uh, Dalton Lingo had a big four-hit game against Jacksonville. That's big for this offense. But I do have questions about that their consistency as far as run scoring as the season goes along. But arm after arm after arm as the bullpen kind of shows its strength, it's a really, really dominant pitching staff that uh, Coach Lovelady and pitching coach Nick Gotti have put together.
0: I want to ask you about Jeffrey Hakinson, because you spoke to him in media avail- baseball media availability ability last week. Um, he's been filthy watching him in person. I mean, he's got he's, he's gotten four saves and five appearances, 15 strikeouts, one walk and six-and-a-third innings pitch. And, you know, I go back to the Sunday game against CSUN where the Knights are trying to win the series. Joe Sheridan goes four innings, and you could just tell – that Lovelady's just trying to build the bridge to get the ball to Hakinson who hadn't pitched in that series because UCF was able to extend the lead the night before when uh, White you know Whitehead, as you mentioned he stretched him out to three innings in relief to get that ten to five win against season Allowed Hakinson to be available for a two inning save, and he is just almost unhittable. He's only given up one hit so far this year in twenty at bats. You talked to him in media availability. What has changed from him, for him from this year compared to last year?
1: Well, I think what's great about it, the most telling stat about Whitehead, and I wish I did have like Statcast stats, and I know that UCF baseball does, but they're all like prepared, proprietary information. So I, I I would love to see that, but I think the most telling stat that I that I'm aware of is he has faced he has faced 20 batters this season, he has struck out 15 of them. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, I think what's what's worked for what's worked for for Jeffrey is we always we, I think I may have mentioned this last week when when I just maybe talked about uh, baseball on the podcast, but he we already knew he could throw hard. He throws mid 90s. He can get up to like 96, 97. Uh, and, but he doesn't, He didn't really have anything to, to change it up, to, to give hitters a different look. Last year, he was throwing a slider, but it wasn't a very sharp slider. It was really more of a. It was like, a, it was like an unintended slurve pitch. And because it didn't have a sharp break, hitters could read it well, um, and he wasn't able to throw it for strikes. This year, he's got a slider that's really refined. It's really honed, and he's throwing it for strikes. And then that combination now, a fastball slider combination where he can land both pitches uh, at different locations of the strike zone, that's really, really difficult
0: for a guy who's throwing 96 in college baseball. Really is. And then uh, now, Coach Lovelady has announced the weekend rotation for the Butler series. Colton Gordon will get the ball on Friday night, uh, Trevor Holloway on Saturday. And then you've got uh, Joe Sheridan getting the ball on Sunday. Patterson, obviously, available out of the bullpen. Any surprises there on that decision? Because, obviously, two of the first three weekends, we've had a four-game series, so Patterson has been part of the rotation. Not the case – he wasn't the, in the rotation in the Auburn series. He came in relief there, and it looks like he'll be in relief, at least available in relief, for this Butler series. Your reaction to that rotation announcement?
1: Yeah, it's about what I expected. It is the rotation that UCF you know, threw out there against Auburn. I, I think so far this year this – year, what has been most impressive is the the maturation of, of a Trevor Holloway. And, you know, we expected him to come into this season. He was kind of one of the, the one of the very few known commodities that we had at these UCF pitching staff because Colton Gordon was a transfer and Joe Sheridan was coming off from major shoulder surgery. Hunter Patterson is a true freshman. Trevor Holloway, you know, had really good moments last year where he could look dominant. Uh, the problem, I think, for him last year was his ability to control the zone. And so you can see that. And last year, he pitched 26 two-thirds innings before being, having the season cut short due to an injury. He walked 15 guys in 26 and two-thirds, struck out 29. Well, in only 16 innings this year, he's already struck out 27. He's only walked four. Uh, opponent's batting average at 150. He has been – been, uh, no, no, there's no bones about it. He's been the, the UCS most dominant star this season. And Colton Gordon had that amazing start against Auburn. Joe Sheridan has been a fantastic story. And I think because Gordon begins the series and Sheridan contends to end it, that Holloway kind of gets lost in the shuffle. I mean, he, he pitched Game One against CSUN on Saturday. It was the only game UCF lost in that series, and he didn't deserve to lose it. I mean, six innings, three hits, two earned runs, one walk, nine Ks. He has walked nine bat. He has, excuse me. He has struck out nine batters in each of his three starts this season. He has been their best starter. And I don't think enough attention is being paid to that. But he but he has really, really been dominant this year.
0: Yeah, he has. He's gotten electric stuff there. Uh, and it's been amazing. It's, it's obviously helped overpower opponents in the line. It's really deserved a better fate. In the the one loss against Cson Holloway was fantastic. The offense just couldn't get anything going against. Really, what Cson threw kind of a junk ball pitcher, a sidearm pitcher there, Murph. I mean, any concerns about that uh, offensively there? That a pitcher like that can throw them off, or is that just one of those things that that's baseball that's going to happen?
1: Yeah, I think it is one of the things. That's, it's going to happen. I mean, uh, you know, Lovely kind of just shrugged it off after the game uh, because it just it's such a rare breed. You don't see. A lot of rotation starters who top out, you know, basically the low 80s and live kind of in the mid 70s with this sort of sidearm slash three-quarter release, different arm angles, uh, different, uh, you know, breaks on sliders. Like, you know, uh, I think the guy's name was Traxel. Yeah, yeah. He was really. I mean, he really, he really confused UCF's hitters. I think it's just, you don't. You just don't see that brand of pitcher much. So no, I wouldn't be too concerned because. You're just not going to see those many guys still doing that in college baseball and being successful.
0: You mentioned the offense. They're hitting 293 on the season. Of course, they're led by Jordan Rathbone, who's off to a great start, hitting 340, three homers, 16 RBIs. Nick Romano hitting 333 no homers, and eight RBIs. Matt Archer, though, Murph, we knew about his defense going in. Coach Lovelady was raving about his defense but he's hitting 326 near the bottom of the order, no homers, seven RBIs. I've been impressed with him, and I was also impressed with the freshman Pablo Ruiz, who hit a multi-home run game in the Jacksonville win, hitting 351 on the year now with three homers and seven RBIs. What's been your thoughts on the freshman's uh, on Archer and Ruiz?
1: Yeah, I mean Ruiz moved up in the order for the game against Jacksonville on Tuesday. He actually, moved up. Uh, um, I believe was he? I don't know if he was ahead of Dalton Wingo, who had moved, been moved down, or was a spot. Behind him, but uh, but but Pablo Ruiz has really established himself as a everyday player. You know, coming into the year, we, we thought he'd split time in left field with Rathbone, uh, and when Rathbone was DHing, they put Pablo in left. With Pablo's bat now, the way he has is, he is, he's provided power, extra base hits. I believe he's 11 for his last 23 with five extra base hits. He had two home runs on Tuesday. They can't take that bat out of the lineup. And you mentioned with him, uh, Matthew Archer who has been on a hitting streak as well. Kind of looks like a Dustin Pedroia clone. Uh, then Andrew Brait has been a, a pretty stabilizing uh, player at shortstop. Good defense, which is what UCF is really needed out of the shortstop position. Um, and, and those guys are all true freshmen. I think the way those guys have produced this early in the year is a huge part of why this team has opted to such a successful start. Um, and just talking to Pablo, he does not carry himself like a true freshman. He knows he's good. Lovelady knows he's really good. He also knows that he has a long way to go. But right now, Pablo, know, Pablo, I think, believes he belongs on this stage. He belongs in this middle, middle of the lineup. He's not afraid by the moment. And he carries himself with a, 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 a very evident amount of swagger. He, he's very confident in his ability. And uh, so far, he's been tremendous. By the way, his favorite player growing up is Alex Rodriguez.
0: That's yes, it was, and he's got that personality that I feel like you need on every t- baseball team, right, Murph? You know what I mean? Like, there's that guy that just loves to be at the park every day, right? Just lives it, is enjoying it. He's not like, oh, another day of baseball. And I think we have a lot of those guys on this team, which is why I think Love Lady's excited about this roster because those are his guys. And you know, as somebody who watched Greg play at, down at Miami when he was a player, that was the type of player that Greg was. He was the guy that lived at the ballpark, that loved the game. He was. Wasn't the most talented guy per se, but had that infested energy and that swagger that he was going to play baseball and he was going to play confident. It didn't matter what his physical skills was or not. And I think that's why Greg likes this team a lot. And I think Pablo is a great example of that.
1: Yeah, you know, Lovely will tell you a story about Pablo in fall ball. I mean, he was a freshman, a true freshman in fall ball. And, you know, it can be kind of boring sometimes and kind of mundane and maybe turn into a bit of a grind. And he said Pablo Ruiz is out there, you know, getting guys going, you know, getting guys pumped up for drills and getting guys, you know, gathering guys up to go do more runs, you know, get uh, just go go running some more. I mean, he's getting guys energized just to do simple, you know, workout routines. And this is a true freshman. You don't see this a whole lot. I think Greg loves that, obviously. And, you know, Pablo is just a guy who loves being on the field. He loves playing the game. And, and uh, he has developed a, a bit of a catchphrase, I believe, for this team. You know, he, he has said a couple of times recently about this team. We're just a bunch of dogs. And uh, you can see, you know, he, like uh, Pablo Ruiz is, a, is what they call a diamond dog. He's just he's out there to play baseball, loves the sport. Uh, he wants to be out there as much as he can. And, and, and when the lights turn on, uh, he's not afraid. He, he, he knows how good he is. And he's showcasing that talent pretty well.
0: Ruiz hit sixth in the lineup against Jacksonville. Dalton Wingo hit fifth. He went down from the two spot to the five spot, and it worked. Wingo exploded going four for four. We had a home run, double, two runs scored in the game. Coincidence, or do you think that kind of worked? I mean, what's your thoughts on that move? It seemed to get Wingo going, and do you expect him to maybe stay in that five spot here for the short term?
1: I don't. I, I would expect uh, that they kind of just wanted to move him out of there just to give him a new look, maybe take some pressure off of him. Dalton had been slumping. Um, but I, I think it, if it all works out, they want him to bat second. They want to get him more at bats. You know, you, you know, in baseball now, you want to put your best hitters, uh, not, you know, maybe second or third. And, and sometimes, you know, most likely second. You see that a lot with guys like Mike Trout. Uh, and so Dalton Wingo, I still believe, is this team's best overall producer best hitter whatever you want to call it he's the guy that really won that two hole um but i mean you know he just had not been producing so they moved him down a couple a couple slots yeah it worked out but i don't think they won't take away the at-bats that he would give them later on in the year so i expect him to move up pretty pretty in pretty uh, short order
0: ucf will host butler out of the big east and really a game to watch and i know you're gonna be there friday night that's gonna be a heck of a game here folks this is and again this is where like people haven't heard of Butler baseball and it's all that but Friday nights is a dangerous game Butler will be throwing their ace Connor Schultz more than likely I haven't seen Butler's announcement in the rotation as we record this on Thursday but I would assume Connor Schultz is the preseason pick to win the big East pitcher of the year uh, he was d1 baseball's pick to be the big East pitcher of the year uh, some of the draft people think he's gonna be draftable he's gonna be drafted depending on how the year he has he could be a day two draft pick in MLB draft. Um, I don't know if you've, have you read more? I don't know if you've read more up on Schultz there, Murph, but what's your thoughts over on this series here against Butler?
1: No, I'm, I'm actually looking up to see if they actually announced that. I'm sure they probably have, but I, I'm looking right now. I'd be interested to see what Colton Gordon does in that start too, because he did have a bit of an issue with CSUN, got, got hit around, got attacked early in the, in that game against CSUN last Friday. He really couldn't put guys away with two strikes. So he really needs a rebound uh, against Butler, um, but no, and we'll see. I think this team, this UCF team, right now is just playing with a ton of confidence. Uh, and, you know, no matter what they do, if they can't, if they don't have a game in which their offense isn't clicking, they can rely on that pitching to really shut opponents down. And then maybe if they give up a few, if they give up a few runs. This is a team that's shown they can score, you know, ten to twelve. So everything is just working right now, and so obviously spirits are high. and... Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to another, another great
0: weekend out there. Butler is coming off winning on Tuesday night over St. Francis, scoring a 22 to four win over St. Francis. <laughs> so, though I have some confidence, don't
1: uh, run in college baseball. No. <laughs>
0: No, they don't. Uh, So UCF and Butler this weekend, uh, we'll monitor that. But baseball off to a great start, uh, but can't look ahead uh, because after Butler, a big midweek game, Murph, real quick. We'll talk about this in our next episode more in depth, but don't get caught looking ahead because you got Miami coming in, uh, which is going to be big, top 25 showdown uh, at the John on uh, Wednesday night coming up.
1: Absolutely, and this is a Miami team that – I mean, I, th- I believe they're still like in the top ten. Yep. Correct. Even though, even though they are well, D1 baseball has them at seven. Even though they got swept against Florida, but and by the way, Florida, by the way, is the best team in the country. So there's that. They got swept out against Florida, and all those games, I, I, well, two of those games, I believe, were really close. I mean, this is you know arguably you know one of the best teams in the country, and, and they they've shown that they can compete with the best. So now they come to UCF where UCF has to deal with the pressure, I guess some pressure of, of you know, being a ranked team, facing another ranked team. This is going to be a huge test in your own building. Yeah, you did it at Auburn, but back then you were kind of the upstart, looking to pull the upset. Now there's more expected of you once you've got your, that number next to your name. Um, so it's going to be a quiet atmosphere too. You know fans are going to pack the stadium for both schools. It's going to be a great atmosphere on Wednesday night. I will not be there. Oh, but We'll miss you, Murph. I have to catch a plane to Fort Worth. But anyway, we'll talk about that uh, before, <laughs> well,
0: before I leave. Yes, we will do more of that. Of course, UCF, Miami, uh, Florida, and Florida State, four teams ranked in the top 25 in college baseball in the state of Florida with Florida, Florida State, Miami, UCF. It's a great baseball state. It's a great softball state. There's three teams in the top 25 in softball this week with, of course, Florida and Florida State, as usual, and UCF. UCF ranked in every poll in college softball, just like college baseball. There's way too many polls. So I'm a fair equal ripper, a critical. a critical. What, what do the polls mean, ultimately? Nothing at the end. and It doesn't mean anything. Uh, UCF, depending on where you look, they're ranked 22nd in the NFCA uh, poll and in the USA ESPN softball poll, 21st in the D, uh, I lost track, softball America poll, and then 24th in D1 softball. They hosted Florida State on Wednesday night uh, at the Plex, uh, and their 11-game winning streak uh, came to an end, losing 8-3 to to Florida State. It was a game that was not really the it didn't really go well for the knights. Knowles uh, got a run in the third inning, then two runs in the fifth on back-to-back homers. UCF kind of got a rally going in the seventh inning, scoring three runs, but uh, felt short eight to three. Uh, and now we'll head out west, and for what is going to be a remarkable road trip. This is the first of four; uh, they'll be playing fourteen games on the road, eleven of them. Uh, I think eight of them, actually, out west. They're going to be at yeah. hosting Michigan. They'll be playing Michigan, who's ranked 16th in the country on Friday, followed by playing the number one ranked team in the country, the defending national champion UCLA Bruins. That's all at UCLA, by the way, on Friday. Saturday, they're going to be playing in Long Beach, California. Now, explain this to me, Murph. You're a California guy. So they're playing yes. at UCLA on Friday night. Yeah. Then they're going to play in Long Beach on Saturday. Yes. How long? What's the di- mileage distance there? Uh, assuming there's no traffic, about 40 minutes. All right. So that's what they'll be doing uh, on Saturday when they play Cal State Fullerton and then the host team Long Beach State on Saturday. Then Sunday, by the way, Fullerton is the Big West champion. Uh uh, uh, and so they're really a team that's receiving votes then Sunday they'll be playing San Diego State on Sunday and then naturally ranked Minnesota in Long Beach then on Monday they'll go to CSUN they'll go to Cal State Northridge campus I don't know how far is Northridge from Long Beach Murph uh,
1: so Northridge is north of UCLA so uh, UCLA is about 20 minutes south of Northridge and Long Beach is about an hour or 10
0: minutes south of Northridge Wow. so there you go well, they'll be on campus against CSUN for a Monday night game. Then from there, they'll go to Fullerton to take on Cal All State right. Fullerton on Wednesday. Murph?
1: <laughs> well, from Northridge, it's not too far. <laughs> Depends on where you're coming
0: from, but fun to see that UCF is getting in some great sightseeing in Southern California. Great time this. That's correct. Um, that's what they'll be doing during this West Coast trip. And then, oh, by the way, they'll fly out to Oxford, Mississippi for a weekend series after that um, before conference play starts against Wichita State on that. So uh, that's kind of the road trip ahead, and we're going to learn a lot about this team. That's going to be a tough, tough test. Uh, A lot of marquee games there. So I think people ask me what to expect from it. If they can go 500 in that trip, sign me up. I'll take it right now. Just give it to me. I mean, that's it. I mean, there's been a lot of good teams that do those similar type schedules and and don't have a good record coming out of it. But I think they'll be a lot better for it once the conference starts. Um, I think that's going to be the key there. And, you know, one of the things that they got to do better of is, you know, on the Wednesday night game, I mentioned on the broadcast, Murph, UCF softball, going into the Florida State game, had a 4-to-1 K-to-walk ratio as a pitching staff. That was 12th best in the country. Florida State had a 3-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. That was 25th, 24-25th best in the country. I thought that was a key matchup. Both teams don't want to give free passes because both teams have power in the lineup, and that would spell trouble. Well, uh, unfortunately for UCF pitching, uh, they had a a home plate umpire named Anthony Small. And you would guess what the size of the strike zone was? Not big. Oh. Not big. UCF had seven walks as a pitching staff and uh, struck out four. FSU, I believe, had two walks and five strikeouts and helped give FSU more base runners. And as a result, they got the eight to three victory. Uh, Aliyah White has never had good history with Anthony Small. I don't know. I don't know. If there's a parallel to that in baseball in Major Leagues, Murph, where there's a pitcher and the umpire that just. Anytime they see that umpire, it's just not a good fit. Uh, I don't know that. I don't know what comparison I can make. It would be like if uh, Tom Glavin or Greg Maddox in his heyday got an umpire, they wouldn't give him the outside corner. You know, that would be kind of how the about, comparison. How
1: about anybody? How about anybody playing or any pitcher with Joe
0: West behind the plate? How about <laughs> that or Angel Hernandez? Very good. Well, Anthony Small qualifies for all that. That's very good. So that's kind of the short story of the Florida State game. Uh, Greg Lovelady was there in attendance, by the way, at the game for a little bit, as was, as I mentioned earlier, Mackenzie Milton and a lot of the football players. So great to see all the teams kind of supporting each other on campus. You know, we have four ranked teams right now, Murph, currently with baseball, softball, women's, and men's tennis ranked in the top 25 as well. That's never happened before at UCF. So pretty good spring for the Knights to this point.
1: Pay attention to these sports and maybe
0: care a skosh less about spring football. You mean you don't want people to click on your video of Dylan Gabriel on Twitter? Come on. I mean, you click, that's fine. <laughs> I'm
1: here for the content. But <laughs> in perspective, we've got teams playing, playing games that matter right now who are nationally ranked. Uh, let's not all just focus in on something that won't mean anything for the next six months.
0: There you go. A team that's not ranked but is looking to make it to the NCAA tournament is UCF Women's Basketball. They begin playing the American Conference Women's Basketball Tournament this weekend. What do they have to do to get to the NCAA? We'll tell you about that next as we wrap up this edition of the Black and Gold Banner and welcome back to the Black and Gold Bannerhead podcast. We'll wrap it up right here. Lopez alongside Brian Murphy. Well, UCF Women's Basketball are going to be in Connecticut this weekend as the Women's Basketball Championship Tournament taking place for the last time, Murph, at the Mohican Sun. No more casinos for your Women's Basketball Tournament as UConn obviously departing the American, leaving for the Big East. So that will be interesting to see what they do with the tournament moving forward. But in the meantime... UCF will be the two-seed. They blew out Wichita State on Monday night uh, behind a career-high 37 points from K.K. Wright as the Knights locked up the two-seed there. They're going to be playing on Saturday – at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3, and they will be playing the winner of Wichita State in Houston. The big thing, Murph, and you brought this up on social media on Monday, when it happened is UCF did what they had to do in the regular season, went out, they get the two seed, more, which means they're on the opposite bracket of UConn.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, this is even what UCF did last year, where you could tell how much it meant to them just to get to the final to face UConn. UCF's goal in this conference tournament is not to beat UConn. And I think Coach Abe has been very honest and open with that. When they face UConn, it's, you can't go in here really expecting to beat them because they're just so much better than everyone else. But if, if you get the chance to get to play them in the final of the conference tournament, you've won. You've succeeded. And I think you saw that last year when they were really excited. When that ha- I remember last year when they were really, really, she was pumped when they got to the final of that tournament. And, uh, and, you know, they should, with the quality of this team, they should get there again.
0: Well, and I think they're going to have to to make the NCAA tournament. Now, as of Thursday, UCF is 37 is their RPI. They're 37 in the RPI. ESPN women's basketball bracketologist Charlie Cream has them as one of the last four in. One of the issues, though, Murph, is the league is down this year. So, really, outside of UConn, There's no quote-unquote quality wins. There's no top 50 wins UCF can get in this tournament outside of, you know, if they pull the upset against UConn, which would be irrelevant at that point because that would be the automatic bid. So I I still think they're going to have to get to the final, I think, to feel good about making the NCAA tournament, despite how well they've been playing. Um, And, of course, if they were to get to the semifinals, they would more than likely play Cincinnati, who's the three-seed, Uh, and they've split the regular season matchups. That's not going to be a cakewalk. Cincinnati is going to be playing the winner of SMU and Memphis. More than likely, it will be SMU on that. South Florida, they have the bad draw of being the 4C. They got destroyed by UConn on Monday. (laughs) And if they win their – if they get to the semis, they'll play UConn again. So, I I think for – the, you know – They've been playing much better defense. I think they've found their identity, has UCF defensively. KK Wright, to me, I've gone on record, Murph, saying I think she's the best. Greatest UCF women's basketball player of all time. You look at the numbers; uh, she's like near the top in a lot of the meaningful categories in UCF women's basketball history. She's going to be part of four postseason teams for UCF. The qu- and the only question is: Will it be two NCAA tournament teams and two NITs, or three NITs and one NCAA? But regardless, I think she's the greatest player, and you know it'd be great to see her kind of end on a high note and be in the NCAA tournament. The interesting thing is there are no Florida teams right now projected to host in the opening rounds of the NCAA tournament. So if they're going to make the tournament, they're going to go somewhere. Uh, In fact, Charlie Cream has him going to Raleigh in Carolina, which might be maybe the closest from geography, I'm going to go back to you for more geography, Murph, because you did such a stellar job last uh, segment breaking down softball's <laughs> map in California. Can you is Raleigh probably the closest you can you know from all the teams that Charlie Cream is hosting? It's probably Raleigh, right? You've done that drive to Carolina. I
1: I, uh, I almost drove to Raleigh. Raleigh, I think, is as a little further away than Greenville. So, I don't know. If you're driving there, It's like I think it's like a nine-hour drive. Is it not?
0: Yeah. So, it's probably a short flight. Okay. you got to take a flight. I hope not driving, yeah. Let's um, not drive there. No, no. They'll fly. Uh, but, you know, NCAA will find a nice cheap flight. That's what they like to do over there. Um, but we'll see what happens. But they got to get to the final, Murph. I, I don't feel comfortable. If they lose in the opening round or in the, in the semis, they're going to sweat it out on Selection Monday in a couple of weeks when they do the selection show. Hopefully, it won't get actually, you know – Uh, come out before it's supposed to come out this time (laughs) around, (laughs) like last year.
1: I was just going to say, if UCF makes it to the final and and somehow makes it into the tournament, will they find out they're in the tournament (laughs) three hours before the bracket is supposed to be revealed?
0: That's a great question. Let's hope for the best for their sake. That was really awkward. You and I covered that. That was really awkward because it leaked out. People were trying to figure out if it was real, and then they found out, oh, it was real. And then they were kind of, it was kind of scramble mode. And then they were like, well, let's pretend we don't know what happened. Uh, And (laughs) and that didn't work. And they just said, all right, screw it. We we know.
1: (laughs) They still held a watch party. They did. uh, As they watched the selection show, even though everybody who was in the tournament already knew whether or not they were in the tournament. So it was great. It was fantastic.
0: Let me give you your thoughts on this. Um, first of all, do you agree with me? Get to the final, and then you'll be in the tournament. You lose before the final; it could be dicey. Do you buy that?
1: I, I didn't know the strength. Of the, uh, be fair, I didn't know the strength of the bubble. But knowing how, uh, like knowing that this conference is not very good, past UConn and UCF and Cincinnati, kind of. Uh, yeah, they they need. They, you know, and being the last four, and right now, yeah, if, if you want to feel. If you want to feel it somewhat safe, you need to win two games here, get to the final, and then try to fight your best against UConn.
0: And play a good game against UConn. They've played UConn well the two meetings this year. Uh, They only lost, I think, by 12 at at UConn the last time. We were there when they lost by seven at home. If you play a game like that, that's going to impress the posters even more um, on that. And you
1: know, I know UConn, the the women have have really kind of found their stride a little bit as well. They've really just dominated opponents recently since they played here. And, And, you know, We've, we've, we've talked about how this isn't one of your usual UConn teams that steamrolls everybody. So, like, there's a chance, certainly, that UCF can have another single-digit game against UConn. I think that matters. I think that matters somewhat if you're taking their profile into
0: account. I, I agree. I agree. Uh, and we'll see what happens with that. Follow that up on UCFnights.com for all the latest there in the tournament going. A uh, couple of other notes on the tournament here, and I, I was talking to some people about this. As I mentioned, this is the last time UConn, obviously, is hosting the American Conference Women's Basketball Championship. Do you believe, Murph, that the women's basketball will follow the men and just have it in Fort Worth? Not necessarily at the same time as the men, but a week earlier. But still, just have it in Fort Worth because the league is having the men's basketball championship, I believe, what, the next three years there? Um, yeah, 21 22. So clearly they have a sweet deal, I'm guessing, with the arena there. And we'll get into more of that in our next episode. But do you think the women's will follow suit or do you think they'll rotate it uh, to different places?
1: So I think what's interesting to me, and I didn't know this, you're telling me they don't know where they're playing next year's conference championship yet? I mean,
0: really? They not, don't know where they're playing a year from now. Well, not as of right now. That isn't. That is nuts. <laughs> now uh, maybe you know. Unless if they do, they haven't told anybody. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're. Well,
1: <laughs> that's stupid. I mean, we know where the men are playing for the next three years.
0: Well, uh, they, I don't think they were planning on UConn departing. Uh, and you know, I think they were. <laughs> maybe not. No, because I mean, I do think there was going to be at at the. They loved. They loved it there. Uh, right there at the Mohican Sun because they drew big crowds. Let's be honest, because fan, yeah. UConn fans build the place. They were they, that was going to be there for the foreseeable future, and now that's kind of been you know pulled under the rug. So I think now it's like, what do the coaches want to do as far as that's concerned?
1: Yeah, you're not. I mean, you're not going to go anywhere else in this conference and get anywhere close to the crowds that you get at UConn. That's understandable. Uh, I assume the. I assume that, uh, that that hosting it at the regular season champion is out of the question? Probably.
0: Yeah, I, they like to do it way in advance. Don't ask me why, but they do. That's what these leagues like to do. So I don't see them doing that. I, I, I think it's going to be Fort Worth because yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, gonna, it's just going to be a package deal uh, on that in my opinion on that. Uh, One other thing. Do you believe in a conspiracy theory? Do the coaches shut out UConn from some of these awards? In other words, does Gino Oriyama, for example, get shut out out of Coach of the Year and they give it to somebody else, whether it be Abe or the Cincinnati head coach? I think those are your contenders for Coach of the Year. Does K.K. Wright have an outside shot of maybe winning the Player of the Year or sharing it with a UConn player? Any of that shenanigans do you think happens or do you think UConn just sweeps the awards?
1: Yeah, why would why would why would the UConn? I mean, why would Gino win Coach of the Year in a year in which they went twenty six and three? I mean, for UConn, that's not great. Which I know is nuts to say, but like, still, like I would still try to give it to someone that, that feels more deserving, has done more with less. So maybe so, Player of the Year. I don't know how it doesn't go to someone on UConn. Still, I mean, their players are are still ridiculously good. KK is probably second. Uh, you know, if second, maybe third, then because there's probably two UConn players that. Could share the vote more than KK. Um, but no, I, I I would be surprised if one of the a non I would be surprised if Gino Ariema
0: got coached the year. Hot take Murph going after Gino. Is that a hot take? He won the league. You know how these no, I'm gonna tell you why. These coaches, man, they always vote for the coaches that win the league. Even if you even if they have the best team by a mile. And I've argued about this with coaches in different sports. Like, why do you have don't just automatically give it to the coach? that won the league like look across the board like Abe has had to replace a lot of players you know it's not like this was a returning veteran team now I think what's going to hurt Abe unfairly is well you have KK Um, so I think that's why she probably won't win if I had to guess I'm thinking the Cincinnati head coach might win that (laughs) or at least share it with Gino I just don't think coaches have the same thinking process that you do when it comes to that but I hope you're right I hope you're right
1: well I love how the thinking process penalizes Abe because she has KK den it doesn't <laughs> analyze Gino over having Olympians and a McDonald's <laughs> all
0: America I know <laughs> it's women's basketball everybody that's how it works so hopefully Abe gets it she has not won believe it or not coach of the year in the league which is to me is just ridiculous um what the job I she's
1: mean' done. In, if there's any year if there's any year I know that UConn still didn't lose in the league but if there's any year in which UConn like didn't deserve to win coach of the year isn't this kind of the year certainly since they've been in the AAC they've been this is the most vulnerable they've been at points in this season than they ever have at this in this conference. So I, I don't understand giving him the coach of the year because he did a good job with a roster that he should have been great. Like, fine.
0: There you go. You heard it, Murph. Give a, don't give it to Geno, you coaches. Listen to Murph. On that. I'm going back to baseball. Speaking of which, by the way, I did a lousy job of this. I did not bring this up during the baseball segment. That's my fault. That's an error on me. You mentioned how conferences take forever about, you know, make figuring things out. Well, in baseball, they big news this week, Murph baseball. I think Baseball America was the first to report it. Who was how is the baseball league going to make up the three games they're going to lose with UConn departing? Well, we now know the answer, don't we?
1: Yeah, we do. So for the next uh, couple of seasons, uh, you know the eight teams in the American will be split into, into uh, basically split down the middle. Four teams go to USF and four teams come to UCF in which those teams will play a round-robin tournament uh, on the first weekend of conference play. This is how the AAC will make up the three games that, that those teams lose with UConn leaving the league. So they'll have, you know, uh, we're not exactly sure which teams are going where or you know, when exactly, you know, as far as what the schedule looks like. But four teams at UCF, four teams at at USF playing each other one, uh, you know, a game a day uh, throughout the entire weekend. And that's how we pick up three extra games. I think it'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to that. And if you're UCF, you got to like it because it gives you another home series. I mean, basically gives you another home series. Um, but it, it, there's a lot to be worked out. We talked about we talked about it with Greg Lovelady on Tuesday. Um, he did say the coaches have voted unanimously, unanimously for it, um, uh, but there's still a lot of details to be worked out, but that is going
0: to happen uh, starting next season. It reminds me a lot of the uh, how UCF opened the 2018 baseball season, right, Murph, when UCF hosted Rice, Virginia, and Sanford. Uh, That's good, yeah. 14th mm-hmm. defeat tournament, so you have two games a day. Um, and we'll have that in the American. And I think if the American does this properly, we'd be a great way to kind of promote the league, which is a top five league in the sport. It'd be a great league to kind of kick, you know, promote the the league and the competition. And I thought what Greg said about it on Tuesday was fascinating about the reason to do it at the beginning of the year is the, to to kind of eliminate the gamesmanship of it, right? Because like, if you do it later in the year, some guys may not throw certain guys and things like that, and they didn't want to do what they did in the past, which was, hey, you play a, a, a common opponent six times in the year, like UCF-USF used to play six times prior to Wichita State arriving. Uh, the league didn't want to do that either, correct?
1: No, absolutely. So, you know – well, I think it's for 2021, 2022. I think it's only two years. Uh, it could go up to six years, but they're just unsure yet. Yeah, they kind of want um, to experiment yeah. a little bit. Yeah, the, uh, it, but you're right. I mean, the, the, I remember when uh, when Virginia was here, they were ranked to Rice with Wayne Graham in his final season uh, played here, and, and that was a fun weekend. And uh, so, yeah, it, it'll be fun to have uh, that kind of. There's a different wrinkle to the conference schedule, and like I said, hopefully it's something that the conference can promote. Because when you've got UCF uh, and Tulane, East Carolina is always a powerhouse. USF is traditionally pretty good. Uh, Cincinnati won the conference last year. Um, Wichita State should be decent. They, they, there's some really, really good teams in this conference. It is a top. It is a you know if we're if we're if we're talking about the power conferences in baseball, this is a power conference. And so to have, you know, this sort of event where it's not just a normal conference weekend, but you have a different opponent every day, uh, hopefully the conference can do do, do do some decent promotions for it.
0: Right. And, and that's your best way, too, by the way, to get better RPI games is you're just getting yeah. conference games as well. So that should be a lot of fun. It's hey, cute. look, it's more baseball, right? Like, who's going to complain about that? Right,
1: Two games a day. Who doesn't love it? I mean, we don't again, we don't know who's going where
0: or how they're going to decide That's that. going to be they, fun. Like, I do want to know how they figure that out. <laughs> I
1: mean, yeah, I mean, do you go by preseason RPI or, or you know, like last season RPI or preseason uh, coaches poll? Like, what do you do? And then, you know, I, I, you know all that can go haywire because if you have a team who's expected to do well, who starts out poorly, and then you can end up with a accidentally unbalanced schedule for one team or a series of teams, but I, I don't know how – they want to say they want to have a balanced schedule for these things. I just don't know how you're going to do that, you know, three, four weeks into the season.
0: We'll see how they uh, figure all that out. Uh, time will go, and I'm sure we'll get more information as that comes out in the coming days, weeks, whenever they uh, kind of sort that out. That might be one of those things they don't figure it out until oh, the off season. Well- Greg
1: Lovelette, he said they're supposed to be getting a schedule for this this week. Oh, really? Uh, and, then he, <laughs> and then he added that uh, they they said that also four months ago. Oh, well there you go.
0: <laughs> so, so, Ian, yeah, and you were wondering why they haven't figured out where they're going to host the women's basketball tournament uh, next year. Exactly. Right? I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> all right, we'll wrap it up here. Quick note: uh, women's tennis uh, ranked, or excuse me, men's tennis ranked in the top the uh, in the in the top twenty five. They're on the road. They're at Texas Tech on Friday, who's also in the top 25. Big showdown. John Roddick facing an old Big 12 nemesis when he was back as the head coach at Oklahoma. That'll be, and then they go to Memphis as they start conference play. Women's tennis, who's also in the top 25, they are at SMU on Saturday before they go to Baylor, who's ranked 27th in Waco March 10th. And then a big one Sunday, March 15th texas comes to ucf that's one of the bigger women's tennis matches of the year uh so those are some of the quick uh hits on tennis and of course you can check out all the updates on ucf athletics on ucf Knights.com. and of course we follow everything on black and go uh, as well murph tell the audience what you got working on uh here in the coming days uh let's see
1: well we got baseball this weekend right we mentioned that and then uh and then we'll be having our preview podcast for the AAC tournament, where we should just—the title for that podcast should be like "America Athletic Conference Tournament." What? Like that's—that's basically what this—that's basically what this is gonna be. Just, just what, what? Uh, what?
0: What? What? Huh? Yeah, we're gonna have that's a it. yeah, we're gonna have a special edition. We'll break down the tournament, the brackets. Be, we'll record it either Monday or Tuesday. Uh, we'll, you, we just work around Murph's schedule. Whenever Murph says, "Hey, I want to record," then we just do it. Uh, <laughs> that's usually how that works. Yeah. Hopefully, Jeff I may is Jeff I may or may not be a part of it. Down. We'll see. I gotta go because I'm on deadline for something else right now. There you go, Merv. So enjoy that. Uh, follow us again, blackandgoldbanneret.com for all the latest there. follow us on Twitter uh, on black underscore banneret. Of course, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite devices for the podcast and uh, get rate us and give leave, leave us a nice positive review. On that, that's Brian Murphy. I'm Eric Lopez. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret.